This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, season eight, episode 27. I'm John DiCarlo. Joining me today is Javon Edmonds, Kyle Gauss, and Caden Steele have left us and decided to join uh, a family band elsewhere. We may not ever hear from them again, but uh, we wish them well. So it's just the two of us today. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good. You know, if Stephen A. Smith worked for us, they'd be he'd be bashing them for not being able to show up to work. <laughs> um, we've got uh, a, a mix of a little bit of everything to get to uh, today. Um, I know a lot of you, if you're Living in Philadelphia, your minds are on the Super Bowl. And of course, got a temple, a couple of temple ties there, of course, with Hassan Reddick, arguably one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. Uh, hopefully, if you're an Eagles fan, he'll have an impact on the game on Sunday. And then, of course, Sean Bradley looks like he'll be able to come back and maybe be a factor on special teams after being hurt. But uh, got some football to get to, some football staff updates to get to. And of course, this up and down Temple basketball team that at one point had turned around its season. And then since we last recorded, Two losses. One was excusable. The one Wednesday night was not. But again, we'll get to that in a little bit. Famous number twenty sevens, Javon. What do you got? Mike Trout. Oh yeah, Mark Trumbull. Um, I don't want to use this one because you said it before we started recording. But you'll forgive me, Eddie George. Yeah. Um, Pride of Abbott. While we're talking, while we're talking the Ravens and Titans rivalry, uh, Ray Rice. J.K. Dobbins. Um, Is J.K. Dobbins famous yet, Javon? He should be. <laughs> if it weren't for a certain offensive coordinator who I will not mention. Let's, let's prefer. Let's let's look forward. I mean, are you now? Could he? Could he be utilized properly? I mean, I guess like in your in your estimation, anywhere was going to be up, right? Other than like oh, the yeah. Division three offensive coordinator. Listen, they they could have went and got Uremovich, and I probably would have been better off watching that than watching Greg Roman. <laughs> uh new Hall of Fame inductee Scott Rowland, war number 27, uh Carlton Fisk. Uh who else? Uh I, I told you in 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 uh because we all cheat on the podcast. We'll look up we'll we'll look up and kind of test ourselves. And the first thing that came up I was telling you before we started recording is when I Googled famous number 27s, the thing that comes up is this number 27 club. And it reminded me of all the people who died at the age of 27. And it's, uh, it's, it's a shame. It's like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain. So different, uh, different meaning in, uh, Oh, Amy Winehouse. Yeah. A lot of people, but, uh, this is not a music podcast, but you know, now I'm not looking to, I'm not looking forward to, uh, number you know, turning 27 now. So thanks a lot. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Look who has, look who has joined us. Kyle. Oh, oh, we forgot Steve Atwater, by the way. Steve, there he is. I heard that the, um, I looked at the numbers and the numbers were going down. So I said, you know what? (laughs) Let me save the scoop. Thank you, Kyle. We We needed it. We said that you and Caden were not joining us today because you left to join a family band. But, Who uh, would be playing what instrument in that? I see you as a drummer or a bass player. 
Or you're, you're probably or, giving me a lot more credit for my rhythm than you should be. <laughs> are you like a like an enigmatic lead man, lead lead singer, front man? I'm like Tom Hanks in um that thing you do? In that thing you do. I'm just the manager. I'm just I'm just getting the talent out there. Have it like screwing them over for money and royalties. <laughs> Eventually somebody will end up uh cheating on again Liv Tyler to cheat on their bandmate. It'll be a good mm. time. Hmm. Good movie. I before we started recording, I told Javon I needed to like we all cheat and look up like like famous numbers. And then the first thing that came up on Google was the 27 club of all the people who died at the age of 27. Mm. It's 27 and then it's 33, right? Is like the next one. That's like Farley, uh Belushi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Belushi looked like he was like 49 and he was 33. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that and uh we'll get to that in six weeks. But uh, uh, uh Fred McGriff. <laughs> Um, Love, Hall of Famer that. Fred McGriff, thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, Don Sutton, or Liston Braves. Yeah. Uh, Wait, did McGriff, did McGriff always wear twenty seven, or was that like later in his life? Why do I feel like, and I don't know this for sure, but like, didn't I? Didn't he wear another number other than twenty seven, or no? He wore like twenty nine with. He wore twenty. Like he wore twenty seven with the Braves, and he went back to twenty nine with the Rays. Mm-hmm. Um, why though? Who was wearing twenty nine for the Braves? Is the question? Oh, so, John Carlos Stanton definitely does wear twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah. Holds anyway. Too, man. Um. Well, we're excited. Oh, duh. Smoltz, Smoltz was wearing twenty-nine, so he couldn't wear twenty-nine when he came to the Braves. John Smoltz. Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's Jamal all I got. Let's talk Jamal some Temple Murray. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, like a, uh, as uh, as we were saying before, Kyle joined us. A, a little bit of mix of everything to to talk about today. This this uh, up and down Temple basketball program, some football, some mailbag questions. Wanted to, to lead off. Uh, Temple has a new Hall of Fame inductee in Joe Klecko. Um, it's got you know it, the, the older generation of Temple fan knows a ton about Joe Klecko, and obviously um, his son. Uh, played here as well, and, and Dan went on to win a few Super Bowls with the, the Colts and the Patriots, and he had a great career at Temple. Uh, and uh, yeah, Joe was announced last night. Gets in after a while, and um, has an incredible story. In addition to you know what he did with the Jets and part of that New York Sack exchange with Mark Gastineau, and um, you know if you don't know this about him, he played. He was a truck driver and a boxer, semi-pro football player. He had to play under a different. He played under the name of Jim Jones, and that was all before he started playing. No, it was um, it wasn't Jim Jones, right? Wasn't it something Poland? Was I Joe Klecko's like assumed name? I didn't, or maybe he used a couple of different names. I, I, I'm just going off of um, the Mike Jensen article this week where he talked oh, okay. to Joe. Yeah, and I think it's Joe something. He went off of like it was basically like a. Yeah, semi-pro. Jim yeah. Jones. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we are both correct in the sense that you are correct and I am wrong. Uh, Jim Jones <laughs> from the fictional Poland University. So okay. I just yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, whatever. It's all, it's all the same. Same. Uh, it's all deadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, played at St. James uh, High School. And now the, the, Long gone. Yeah, long gone St. James High School. Um, but it's cool. I used to hear my, my uncles by no means were, were friends with Joe, but they, they also went to St. James. I used to hear stories about him and, uh, just how tough of a player he was. And like, uh, you know, could probably make a movie out of him. Like he did like with like, uh, 
with the Vince Papali thing with Invincible. But uh, good for Joe. Um, good for Temple football. So um, really cool thing that he's getting inducted into uh, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and then, of course, a, a couple of um, uh, staff additions that became official with Dominique Bowman at the cornerbacks coach position from Arkansas staff. And then Jamel Matunga, the running backs coach, of course, um, Kyle had broken the news initially that they were going to bring bringing in Sam Dorsett from Monmouth, but then that never happened for whatever reason. So the football staff is uh, is filled out now. Um, we got a couple of football or at least one or two, I think, mailbag questions to get to a little bit down the line for football. But we get to this uh, Temple basketball team, like I said, at the outside of the show. Last time we recorded, they had one four in a row. Houston was coming into town. Again, I think Sunday's loss was excusable. Houston's really starting to hit its stride. But uh, what we saw Wednesday night down at SMU was not excusable. Um, and now, you know, they have to rebound on the road at Memphis, a Memphis team that's playing really well. And, of course, a Memphis team that beat Temple a few weeks ago on that baseline buzzer, uh, buzzer beater. But, I mean, there are a bunch of different things we could talk about here, but – to me, and it's not anything new, the main theme is they're not at this juncture of the season. There's no excuse for them to not be taking care of the basketball. They are 324th in the country in turnover margin, which is embarrassing when you have no matter what the makeup of, of your roster is. But, um, you know, we have a mailbag question about it, but I think it's going to be like the central theme of what we're talking about. Why is that happening? How much of that is just on the players, how much of that is on the coach. I mean, again, they fall behind by 17. We'll give them credit for coming back. Yes, I think that 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 late foul call on Caleb Battle was a terrible call, but they shouldn't have been hey, in that no position. Being in that position. Yes, hey, no never, business being in that position. Yeah, no business being in that position. Javon, I'll have you lead us off first. I mean, it's the simple question, but uh, short of like – what can Aaron McKee do here? Does he need to be like super old school where like the second somebody commits a turnover, he yanks him out of the game? I mean, how do you get a control on this? 19 turnovers is terrible. It was a big, big factor in the game. And it's obviously nothing new for this team, but they're they're too old to be doing stuff like this. I've John, I feel like we've had this same conversation 15 million times on this podcast. There's nothing new to say. I don't know. Go ahead. Feel free to be Mr. Old School and pull a guy as soon as he messes up. You want to kill his confidence like that. Go ahead. If you want to piss off this generation of athlete like that and all right, yeah, I'm not playing anymore. Transfer portal me. You feel free. Um, wait, 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 wait. So, so in your mind, there's not a coach in the nation that can that can be hard like that? Like, I'm not saying that, Kyle. It's just there's nothing else to say at, at all. I don't know why we keep what can this team do different? Boom, boom. When a, a team or a person is trying to tell you who they are, listen to them. Temple sure. has showed us who and what they are. Let's listen to them. Let's just get all the hopes and aspirations out the way. You, you gave up a 19 to 2 run to the 8 and 16 Southern Methodists to start the game and, and, and lost. Like, there's nothing else to add to it. Um, Kyle, you feel free to take it away. I just laugh that you called them Southern Methodists. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, it doesn't matter. Like, I understand, like, I, I get that people were riding a little high for a while because, like, oh, they beat Houston and they they went down to UCF and they they beat UCF and they had an impressive little stretch. But, like, 
guess what? I just plugged in the numbers. If they had won against SMU and won the rest of the regular season and won two games in the conference tournament and lost to Houston, what do you think their net was going to be? Like, like if they finished 23 and 11 and lost to Houston. 97, 97. There's like, there's no, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There's no chance of an at-large bid. Anybody that's out there projecting that they had a chance in the last month was delusional. Like like, like, things just didn't break their way. So Mm -hmm. like, it doesn't matter. Like I understand like you're frustrated. You lost to a bad SMU team. Great. Sure. But like the only way that this impacts Temple's ability to get into the tournament is like the only chance they have is to win the conference tournament Mm -hmm. period. It's all done. Honestly, Season. I also want to kind of like level set some things right now. As of right now, Temple's nowhere close to the MIT. Like nowhere close. Mm-hmm. So like, if anyone thinks like, oh, if they get to twenty wins, they'll get in the tournament or at the very least, they'll be like a two seed in the MIT. No, the MIT is harder to get into than you think because half the teams are auto bid teams that won their regular turn uh, season and didn't win the conference tournament. Mm-hmm. So like, nothing's and the rest changed. Largers are are power fives who picked up some signature upsets. And you can't penalize them for their losses. Right. Yeah. Like right now, like the NIT would be like the USC's, the Wisconsin's of the world that like their strength of schedule is going to be great because they play. Possibly. Yeah. I think, yeah, possibly. Like at least not like maybe at the top, but in the middle. This isn't an NITology podcast by any stretch of imagination, but like, yeah, Temple as currently constructed and as they're currently playing is like an okay to slightly good American team which means that they are going to lose games on the road that you're like, how the hell did they lose to this team? They mm-hmm. lost this team because they started 19 and two against a bad SMU team. Mm-hmm. Credit to them for car, like falling back into it. And like, should they should have won that game, but like not a winning recipe to fall down 17 in the first 10 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. Before we look ahead. And, and again, there's not too much time to spend on all this stuff, but before we give everybody just a, a quick preview of what they're going to see at Memphis again, which is not going to be much different than what they saw a few weeks ago. I'm just curious to to find out from you guys. When you look back at the, the last Sunday's game against Houston, good first half, but I think uh, for me, at least personally, I thought, okay, different pace to this game. Can they keep this up? And then in the second half, we know what happened. The big 13 0 run on Houston's end to, to start the second half, the live ball turnovers and stuff. But uh Kyle, I'll start with you and then go over to you, Javon. What did you guys see in the early in the second half to where they just came unraveled? And again, I know I, I think we can all agree that Houston is really starting to hit their stride. Their freshmen are really starting to grow up and um, it, they're, they're really, really good team that's coming together. And we knew that. But what did you guys take from from Sunday? I took uh, just re. What's the word I'm looking for? It solidified my belief that over a long enough duration, things revert back to the norm, right? Like Temple, it was is a worse team than the number three team in the nation in Houston, right? So like, I don't know. Honestly, it's two games ago, so I'm kind of racking my brain to even really just remember what happened other than them getting blown off, blown out in the second half. But they went from being up what four at halftime Mm -hmm. to you get a. You get forced Zach Hick shots. You get Nick Jordan, Nick Jordan missing, Nick Jordan missing <laughs> in the paint, followed up by a bad foul on his part. Like it just seemed eventually, they just, like Houston just could remember, like, oh yeah, we're sixteen points better than this team. I don't. Javon can obviously get more into the X's nose of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'll tell you what it is. Jamil Reynolds can't recover in a hedge and recover. At least he couldn't on Sunday. Like Houston did nothing special, basketball wise, to win that game. 
they took advantage of the same advantage Temple had, and their guards just refused to take it. Hedge and recover, left the big man open each and every time down the middle of the lane. No one rotated on the backside. Houston took advantage of it, and on the other end, Temple would get that same advantage with Jamil, but for some reason, Hysir Miller and the rest of the guards on the team are afraid to throw that pass. You're a Division I guard. You have to be able to make that pass. It's that simple. You're not supposed to be shaking in your boots, afraid to pass it to an open big man in the lane. Besides that, you got a starting five that just cannot score. I think that was even worse against SMU. Exactly what you just said. Like when Jamil would get empty, open in the lane or open in the paint, I feel like their ability to actually like get an insert pass into the paint was terrible. It's like they don't know, they don't know what an entry pass is or a right. pass out of a pick and roll. It's it's embarrassing, and it, it truly is. And this isn't to be negative Nancy or Debbie Downer, but like it truly is in each sense of the word, and from a basketball standpoint, embarrassing. Uh, you go at that. You look at that starting five that proved in that second half, that's not a starting five. No one, and I mean no one in that starting five, can get a bucket on their own. Jalil can try to post up every now and then and possibly do something. Zach Hicks, catch and shoot. Hysir Miller, he doesn't even blow by big men. Mm-hmm. So he's a guard who can't shoot, he can't shoot and he can't take advantage of speed mismatches. Um, Nick, you're better off. You can get a lot of great games out of Nick Jordan with just two shot attempts. Um, and Corey John Cooch, you know, off, plays hard, plays defense, not really looking for anything from him offensively. So you add all that together, and you get that second half of Sunday. Like, it, and Damian or KB, one of them should have started that second half to try to salvage what little bit of momentum they had that was already fading away towards the end of the first half. Look, I'll just say this, and I'm assuming it's worse based because he went over three against SMU. Jaleel White going into the SMU game on non dunks is a 24 point, oh, sorry, a 23.5% shooter yeah. on non dunks. I mean, is his shoulder just shot? I mean, not, to be fair, we haven't asked him about it. He has shoulder issues over the summer. The whole point of emphasis was like, can he get to like a, could he at least shoot at a 32, 33% clip? Could he at least give teams something to think about where they don't just really sag off of him? That clearly hasn't happened. Is it just mechanics? Do we just think that he just can't even get his shoulder to where he needs to it's, be to shoot it well enough? It's not a shoulder thing. Kyle, Kyle was the first one to tell everyone, even in high school, he couldn't shoot. And this is before the shoulder. Oh, I, I was I was not the first person to tell people that. That was not the first. You're the first that was the rub. That was but the yeah, rub against Joel. Yeah. Yeah, like he couldn't shoot before the shoulder. Couldn't shoot with the shoulder. Can't shoot without the shoulder. It's not a shoulder thing. Um. And one of the nicest guys you'll meet, but it's not a shoulder thing. Jaleel White just can't shoot a basketball. It's mm-hmm. nothing else to it but that. When you look at Sunday, obviously you're looking at a Memphis team that's good. That's also hitting its stride. They just put up 99 points on uh, a USF team that's 10 and 14 and three and eight in the league. But they've they've had their moments. Still, they put up 99 points. And is it as simple as like you're going to have to? You, you can't if Temple tries to go bucket for bucket with them and play at their pace. There's no way they're winning this game. Do you have to really try to slow it down and and win ugly like they did at Houston? Because it's not just, you know, it's not just Kendrick Davis. It's DeAndre Williams. It's Keontae Kennedy. They've got they're starting to play really well. DeAndre Williams didn't miss from the line the other night. They shot it really well, fairly well from three. They've got a lot of options. And for all the up and down moments that, that Penny's had and he's been criticized, it's another, oh, here's another former NBA guy. Can you get enough out of this team? They're playing pretty good basketball right now. Do you have to just slow it down against them and try to win ugly? 
I feel like I'm taking a four day darkness trip like Aaron Rodgers and we're just repeating the same conversation yep. from a month ago. <laughs> like the last time they played Memphis, Memphis had just, just dropped 104 like mm-hmm. the, the game before. And the White Temple do, they just went and played in the mud against them. Like mm-hmm. it ended up being a two point loss. He lost 61 to 59, but like they showed the ability to be like, screw it, let's just kind of play this game where we want to play. So I think teams that wa- that try to keep up with Memphis scoring wise, die and lose to Memphis by trying to keep up with them scoring wise. Like Temple for better or for worse does have an identity, which is an ugly identity of the, you want to play in the sixties or low seventies or in the fifties. And that's the only chance they have against this team because the talent Memphis is always going to have more talent than you. Like that's just the way that they recruit the way that they bring players into the program. Uh, Penny has a big appeal to them like that. You have to win with coaching and winning with uh, asserting your identity Mm -hmm. i concur yeah we got a couple of basketball mailbag questions to get to most of them the two of them here are just funny from our uh and i threw a couple out on twitter um normally we reserve them for our message boards but we got to throw a couple out on twitter and they're more football related but um these are screen names joe becca and jhg 722 jhg 722 has always asked just the after frustrating losses why Joe Becca, I have two questions. Why, John? Just why? And then <laughs> JHG722, just to add to those questions, why? Just, you know, they're frustrated with the loss. Every time they put those questions up, it makes me think, Kyle, I think I've said this to you. It's like, I don't know why it reminds me of the scene in Big Daddy when they're ordering breakfast and Steve but Buscemi's why? there. And he's like, well, why are you here? He's like, I don't know, kid. That's a good question. I made a lot of questionable life decisions. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, at some point in your lives, you guys made the decision to attend Temple University and, and link yourself to it. And here you are, the consequences of your actions. <laughs> you live the torture life of a Temple basketball fan. Yeah. Um, the other one here from Blaze 75 and this goes to what we were talking about before. Have you seen a Temple basketball team that values the ball less than this team? How is this many turnovers not correctable? It goes down to what we were talking about before. I mean, I... I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I, again, I know that the 324th in turnover margin at, at this juncture of the season with a team that is not, they're not young. I mean, it's its time for, there's not a single person. It's not like they turn the point guard duties over to like a, a freshman untested combo guard, like uh, like Deuce. Uh, they're not like they're giving, I mean, Heiser Miller's played way too many games, but it hasn't even always been Fabe that's responsible for the turnovers. The other night it was, it was Damian Dunn. You know, he made that 19th turnover when SMU was up a point. It's everybody. Um, I cannot remember a team that turned over the ball. I mean, it's it's as bad as it's been in a while. Um, but, you know, obviously they turned over the ball not a whole lot under Cheney. And then Fran Dunphy came in. They pushed the pace a little bit more offensively. They popped it around a little bit more offensively. But I, I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, know, they clearly don't value the basketball. So basically the answer is no, like it's, it's they're on pace at the 14 point, whatever, 14.1, 14.3 turnovers per game to be the worst temple team of all time. When it comes to turnovers two years ago, McKee's second year, that was, that's actually the number two team last year. They were, you know, it had gone down, but look, you went from prior to Fran Dumphy arriving, like it was usually in the seven, eight, nines, 11s under Cheney. And then since then, like, Temple has averaged, you know, 11 and a half, 12 turnovers a game over the last 15 years. And this year is the worst of those. So now, I mean, a lot, some of that's probably player related. It just seems to come in bursts. It seems mm-hmm. like they'll have like four possessions where they turn the ball over three times and then they'll play nine minutes of no turnovers. So it's uh yeah, it's frustrating is the word I would use. Yeah. Um, uh, football, 
mailbag question here also from dblay 75 I can see EJ Warner improving his arm strength and overall game in the offseason. However, the wide receiver room looks thin and unimpressive with Anderson Stewart, Wright, Mathis, et cetera. I was hoping Temple would sign some solid transfers with Warner at the helm. What are the odds we get a few wide receiver signings after spring ball like Adonica Sanders? And then uh, uh, L.A. Al, another uh, poster, it said, don't forget about the Colorado State Uh transfer. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, even before we get to, um, you know, who they added, uh, in the portal, um, I, I don't know. I think that to, just to lead this off, I think that, I think that they will, I know that they're losing Jose Barbone, but I, my overall general point here is I think they've seen like a steady progression at that position. It's not like when Temple signed Jose Barbone, people thought, oh, he's going to turn into obviously coaching staffs change, uh, systems change, but I don't think anybody a few years ago was saying, oh, Jose Barbone is going to be a thousand yard guy, 80 catch guy. I think that everybody is, is hopefully if you're a Temple fan, if you're a member of that staff is going to make a progression. I, I also, for as maddening as he's been, I don't think that you've, you've seen the last of like what Ahmad Anderson can do. I mean, I think the biggest criticism is, Sometimes Special teams, it's his criticism. Yeah, sure. obviously. And maybe maybe you make the decision to say, all right, we're going to have somebody else return kicks because sometimes you just either have it there or you don't. But I mean, and even just on the offensive end, sometimes Ahmad and, and Stan Drayton has said it like sometimes he just gets the ball and tries to dance too much. But he's got some speed. I mean, the catch that he made late in the Navy game was nothing to sneeze at. That was an impressive one in a catch. The guy can play. I'd like to see what Ahmad Anderson does going from year one to year two in this offense with Danny Langsdorf. I mean, I think he could have a really good season for him. He's not without talent. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's out of the question to, to see somebody like Zay Baines take a, take a step. I don't think that there is thin there at receiver. Um, I get it. You know, you want some more, you, some more weapons for EJ to throw to, but um, you know, who's to say that Ian Stewart won't be good coming off his injury and that, you know, maybe Dwan Mathis really sticks with things at receiver and he's serious about sticking there, but I'll turn it over to you guys. Yeah. I would echo everything. No, I'll just echo the mod Anderson thing first and I'll pass over you, Javon. I mean, he was averaging 70 yards over the last half of the season. Like I get that. It's like, Oh, it's a sample size of six games, but that's half the season. He was averaging like 70 yards. Uh, So you put him in that pace for a full season. That's like a 900 yard season. I think he has the talent there. Uh, It's going to be really, he probably enters the season as their number one wide out. So I'm expecting some from a mod. Javon, if you want to chime in, I'll, I'll come back later. Yeah, I said the catch they got on signing day, Ahmad proved keep him off special teams and you keep him lined up that strictly receiver. He can give you some plays. And then, look, EJ's, EJ's one of the smartest quarterbacks you're going to see. Got quick decision-making. His arm's going – he's get, he's gotten bigger, I can tell you that for sure, uh, which means he's getting stronger. I think you don't have to look for, you know, the – Devontae Smiths and the Calvin Ridleys of the world. You just need someone who can get into space quickly so EJ can get them the ball. That's going to be Temple's strategy. Let mm-hmm. EJ cook, and I think they've got enough to do do that at a serviceable level, at least a six and six and six uh, level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let EJ be EJ. I mean, to answer the initial question, like I, I do think they'll probably bring in like another guy over the next couple months, just because somebody will shake loose from somewhere and they do need that. But I think the good thing, look, I loved Adonica Sanders. Thought he was a gritty, very good player when he was healthy. 
The fact of the matter is he was not healthy most of the second half of the season, which allowed guys like Zay Baines to all of a sudden come onto the scene and go from what appeared to be an afterthought, maybe a guy you thought was going to transfer out to all of a sudden he's a pretty productive player down the stretch. So I think between like Zay Baines, Mod Anderson, uh, like LAL said, Dante Wright was a freshman All-American. I'm not expecting him to come in all of a sudden average 120 yards a game, but I think he's going to be a productive player because mm-hmm. for better or for worse, Mountain West Conference football and American Athletic Conference football aren't that far apart when it comes to competition and talent. Like they're the same tier of college football. Mm -hmm. So he was productive at that level. He could probably be productive at this level. I think the thing we're really kind of glancing over is assuming the roster stays the way it is right now. Temple has an argument to say they have the best tight end room in the conference. So I think David Martin Robinson and Jordan Smith continue to be those safety valves that EJ Warner loves, and that could be a big portion of your your passing game in 2023. Yeah, Kyle, I'll add on to your Dante Wright point. Not only is the Mountain West and the American on an equal level, the American is worse right now than it was the previous few years. Yeah, in my estimation. Is- so there is there is even hope that he performs at a better level against the Florida Atlantics and the North Texases of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the issue is. Like and I completely agree, but the issue is that this year is Temple doesn't really get any of those bad uh, Conference yeah. USA teams this year. Like the teams that they're going to get, I think they get UTSA, they get North Texas after North Texas was good. Like they're getting some of like the upper tier of those, so like, it probably won't be as obvious this year. But Dante Wright does have two years of eligibility left. Eventually, you will play the Rices of the world and and things like that. But yeah, the American. I mean, objectively, the American is worse this year with Cincinnati, UCF, and uh, uh, Houston leaving. So yeah. I think it'll uh, be fine. I still think they'll add somebody. I'm not super worried about that's not high up on my, my worry list. Actually take us into our last couple of uh, mailbag questions here. And then we'll talk about uh, just a tad bit of Super Bowl before we uh, uh, let everybody go. These that, are, is that this weekend? That's right here. Personal yeah, Super Bowls this weekend. That's nice. Big if, big if true. Um, uh, Andrew, hopefully Andrew, I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Andrew Forgotch, um, a question here. I'll toss a, uh, a food question here. There's his question. And then there's a, a question here from another Twitter user relating to the schedule. You know what? Let's go to, to the off the hook three uh, Twitter question here. Cause it relates to what we we're talking about with the, what you were just talking about with the, the new teams from conference USA gun to your head. What will the football team's record be in 2023? Obviously way, way, way early, but it does tie, like I said, like uh, what we were talking about with the teams that are going to be on the schedule that are coming in, uh, gun to your head. I'm going to just say, I don't think there's any reason why they can't be, they should be bowl eligible. I think they could be a seven and five team that will get into more detail as things go on. Like they have a, a chance to get off to a good start. They host Akron Rutgers is beatable on the road. Then you have Norfolk state coming in Miami coming at home to to the link. I mean, and then you get into like North Texas, SMU, UTSA. I think they can at least be a seven and five team and be a bowl team, but again, it's way early. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Javon? Um, I, I wouldn't discount them to go six and six. I got sidetracked by the fact you straight up just said SMU, UNT, and UTSA, like three Texas schools are in your conference and you play in North Carolina. You, you play in Philadelphia. Like, <laughs> well, this is, well Rice, Rice is in their conference too. And Rice so. is. It's like, but this is, oh, this is just disgusting business. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Not for long. I mean, look, Dallas is about to be on the Pacific 12. So. <laughs> yeah. Do we, is that happening? Is that definitely happening? Uh, what? Pac-12 commissioner visited 
uh, SMU was the the rumor. But it seems like like San Diego State's a slam dunk addition to them. And it feels like they would also be trying to get uh, SMU. And SMU w- would take that offer because they're never going to get to the Big 12 because TCU is never going to allow them to get into the Big 12. Yeah. They're like the TCU is to SMU like Villanova was to Temple when the Big East thing was happening. Yeah, so, but then eventually Villanova let them in, right? Yeah, sort of. Not to get too far off track. How wild is it 15 years later or 10 years later or whatever that in Temple's press conference to get into the Big East, Villanova's president was there? So that's insane in, re- in uh, retrospective. So that's like the ultimate sign of you, like, I own you. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, that's just, yeah. I ain't going for that. That's like you crazy. live, you live by my mercy. Is essentially and then the Jalen, and then the Jalen Brunson thing happened. So yeah. who would have thought that one Villanova Wildcat would come out of two Temple Owls? Thanks, Jalen. Fan Temple fans really, really loved hearing that. Yeah. That's, oh no, no, I didn't mean anything by that. Yeah. Um, Javon, you're, you're thinking six and six, like bowl eligible. Yeah, I, I've got faith in Stan and EJ. You need a coaching quarterback combination to win in football these days, and Temple's got it. If you ask me. I kind of agree with six and six. If they go seven and five, then that's whatever. It's basically the same as six and six, but I'm thinking six and six. I'm still just living and dying by that uh, early Matt rule parallel and 2014 Matt rule went six and six. So like, I, I do see games. Like I think Rutgers, I, I, I'm sure I'll get blasted by this. If anybody ever pulls this clip, I think the Greg Schiano experiments failed. Like, I, I think that like they, once Fran Brown left, um, realized that like it wasn't that they were a good recruiting coaching staff. It's that they had one good recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, their recruiting class this year down. Their coaching staff they just fired half of them because they they couldn't get it done. I don't think it's I don't think that game's uh, unbeatable by any stretch of the imagination. And they still and then, yeah. won this year if Stan didn't go for it on fourth down in Rutgers territory. Yeah, like, Temple they, was four plays away from being seven and five this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not that like if all of a sudden you're a year further into Stan learning to be a coach, EJ learned to be a division one quarterback. Hopefully they figure out that running back room and the offensive line, like things like that, like taking the next step. It's not hard for me to imagine bowl eligibility. Uh, I don't think that the, like the new American athletic conference schedule helped them in any sense with that at North Texas at UAB. Um, uh, I'm sorry. UTSA comes here. So like there's, it's like a rougher adjustment to it, but there's still games like South Florida sucks. South Florida always sucks. Uh, Memphis at home. Temple usually wins that game. So like all you gotta do is win three, four in the, in the conference, you have a chance. So I'm going to go six and six until proven otherwise, because for all we know, six weeks from now, the portal or uh, in May, when the window opened back up, Half the team leaves. Like it's, we're just guessing seven months in advance. It's like signing up for daycare. You have to sign up for daycare in February for, for like September. I'm making decisions for things seven months down the line. I don't know what the hell Jordan's going to need in seven, seven months. That's seven months down the line, Kyle's problem. Right. But 2023, February, Kyle has to make that decision yeah. and deal with the consequences later. Everything's a Imagine if like a group of cows from a bunch of different timelines got together. I wonder if they that. would get along or if, if they would have beef. Like, would this be a King of the Conqueror type of thing? No, I think or, they'd get along. You know? Like, I, there's very few people that love Kyle Gauss more than Kyle Gauss loves Kyle Gauss. So, like, I, I think that would apply into a meeting of the Kyles as well. Javon, Javon, you got a little snarky with me yesterday. Did I? He said, you can go ahead and mute me if you want. And I said, okay. Oh, no, 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 no. That was the actual, like, no, yeah. I saw it coming. Like, yeah. I was like, look, if there's any time, if there's any time that, like, I 
like I was going to mute Javon Edmonds on Twitter. It's trade deadline. Trade deadline. Yeah, that was, was like, my thought just... process. Like, yeah, I probably should have gave Kyle. I was like, let's just get through this. Let's, let's put that on a little time out. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other question, the second part of uh, off folks' uh, question here on Twitter, uh, who's the American Athletic Conference ad, if anyone, if SMU departs? I mean, uh, Hoops Weiss uh, doing what he does on Twitter. I mean, he threw it out there. I mean, I, it's a logical thought maybe UMass two things with that one my favorite part is that he said to file an application as if like the Americans is like well let's let's see who comes across our desk let's please see please see the attachment thank you look we wanted to add Notre Dame but they didn't apply like (laughs) you need to go through the the HR process and then two he then in a response um floated FAU as another potential addition despite FAU already coming to the American I know so I'm not putting too much credit into that i think it yeah. makes some i i also like he said well that would give temple a travel partner i don't think the american athletic conference is making any decision with temple travel partners. Yeah, with the, the temple conference does temple. not yeah i repeat does not care about temple university right. mike resco chuck sullivan tom finstermaker they do not care about temple Ch- university. chuck's just catching strays he's like i got nothing to do with this <laughs> it's like they made, they made me move from New England down to Texas, and you're just yelling at me. Uh, I mean, in an ideal world, look, I think I think James Madison makes sense. Um, I think Appalachian State makes sense, like that, like better ads that area. Yeah. But I think with moving the conference, coastal, yes, coastal, coastal, all three of those schools yeah. are better ads. With moving the conference to Texas, with adding in three Texas teams in the latest round of expansion, I think. Uh, Mike Oresco has made it very obvious that they want to be like s- mid Southern uh, based. So like, it's hard to envision where else they would go. It's Arkansas state coming. Like, I don't know. It just becomes, it mo- it's moving further and further away from the conference that Temple joined uh, a decade ago. Yeah. Right now, UMass doesn't give you much of anything, right? They don't right. Give you a damn Unle- unless you're, you can, be, no, you can be honest about it. Unless you're banking entirely on like for some reason they're making a basketball decision, they're really hoping Frank Martin like takes over and like takes them to that next level. I would bet against that, but I also don't think they're making any decisions with basketball in mind. By sheer luck, the the teams they've added this year, pretty good at basketball this year. Yeah, like FAU's pretty yeah. good. Like all these teams are like, oh yeah, these if these teams were in the American this year, the American would not be a two bid t- conference. It would be a three four bid conference. Mm-hmm. But instead, here we are. So. Hopefully that continues in the American. So Temple, if they have to make these trips to these who gives a shit schools, at least like is getting good basketball out of it. If they're making trips to the middle of nowhere with universities that you didn't even know existed until they joined the American and you're playing an eight and 20 team, then what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, Last mailbag question to finish things off here before we talk a little bit of Super Bowl. Uh, and this is a Super Bowl related question. Okay, Andrew Forgotch on Twitter. I'll toss a food question in there. What's the best Super Bowl food? What has to be on your plate? Hot wings. Yeah. Hot wings and pizza. Like, you don't have that. Don't invite me to your party. I'm not even doing pizza this year. I'm just doing like barbecue and wings. Yeah. I'm ordering yeah, I'm, in. I'm with it. I'm ordering in like there's a place in Ambler. Uh, I think they also have a place in the city now called the Lucky Well, which is fantastic. Has like the best smoked barbecue uh, wings I've ever had in my life. Getting those delivered along with like cornbread, um, brisket, and something else. So I'm just going barbecue, but it's not Kansas City style barbecue. So I'm not jinxing the Eagles. As long as you've got a theme, it's cool. I've been to a fish fry for a Super Bowl before. Wonderful. Yeah, just as long as it's just unhealthy. 
and I can be a fat glutton and feel my blood pressure go up just a little bit, it's all right by me for the Super Bowl. I think it's virtually I'm impossible those... for you to get fat, Javon. It is. My metabolism just will not allow oh. until I'm oh, about 35. Oh, Bob, say, buddy, 24-year-old Javon's going to be fat. And <laughs> you know, maybe he'll change things. I was I, like I you. To it. I was like you. I was skinny. I couldn't do things. Now I have to Peloton an hour a day just to maintain 181. I got to do that every day. I have to work out for an hour every day to maintain 181 pounds. How I look forward to it. I'd rather burn fat in the muscle than work with what I'm doing now to try. I don't to get think that's. I, I don't think that's how your body works. <laughs> However, it works. I'd rather go down from a lot and come up from nothing. You know. Yeah, no, that's fair. I get it. It's just I feel like it's a tale as old as time to be like, I'll just never, I'll never gain weight. Eventually, you'll gain weight. Yeah. We all get there. The only so thing we might try, in addition to like wings and maybe like cheesesteaks and cutting them up. We might, if the, well, the city's going to be crazy busy. There's a, we, we might on Christmas Eve, we got, did you ever go when, when we were living in South Philly, did you ever go to New York bakery down the street at the end of daily? Mm-hmm. And daily? They have these amazing tomato pies. Maybe if they're, unless we can't get through them and they say, no, right. sorry, we're booked up. That might be the other addition, but I feel like since you're still on the fence about this 48 hours in advance, there's a 0% chance it's going to work out. Cause yeah. they're like, yeah, uh, we've been booked for two weeks, man. Like <laughs> you think we're just sitting here on inventory. A lot of calls. Uh, um, let's, I mean, let's, uh, look at the Super Bowl real quick to close things out because there is, I mean, there's a temple angle here again. If it, Sean Bradley's going to play, right. I mean, before we get to the obvious one, Hassan Reddick, is he, is he available on special teams? Is he healthy enough now? No, um, I thought it was just like he initially when he got injured said like, oh yeah, I might be back for the Super Bowl, but I don't think he's playing. He went to injured reserve beforehand. No, I don't. I don't think he's playing. Okay, but I think. If he doesn't play, I mean, obviously, another important matchup in this game, and obviously, we're not going to break down the entire Super Bowl, but of course. It, Hassan Reddick has a chance once again to be a game record. And obviously he's facing a much, 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 much better uh, quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. But um, Hassan Reddick maybe going up against Andrew Wiley. Could he be a, a huge difference in this game, a game record? Obviously Mahomes can improvise, but I just wanted to kind of toss that out to you guys and maybe get some predictions. I know Javon, you don't care if the Eagles win or, or lose Kyle and I do, but um, how much of a difference could Hassan be in this game? Um. Chiefs line is decent. I could. I, I don't think it's just the Hassan thing. I think there's so right. many threats. Sure. In that Eagle front seven, like I think that's my one thing with the Eagles this year. I hate when people try to focus on any one particular Eagle. That team is super, super talented mm-hmm. from one to fifty-three on that roster. The mm-hmm. forty-six men that suit up on game day, ten ball each position group has several just elite guys playing. So with that front seven, there's so many guys, I wouldn't even bank my money on it being Hassan. Like it could be, it could be Fletch. It could be BG. It could be Sweat. It, it could be any one of those guys. It's just, he's so talented that he winds up being the one to shine through. Um, no, but Mahomes is going to be in for a long night on Sunday. Um I, I, it's hard for me to see a world where the birds lose this game, to be honest with you. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'll go with that. How are you that? Yeah. Uh, so 
five years ago was not optimistic. Obviously, you're so nervous. You're just like, whatever. This year, I'm to steal um, a line that's going around a lot on Twitter. Like, it's Iverson before the 2001 NBA Finals. If you're scared, get a dog. Like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm sick of pretending that the Eagles aren't the best team in the NFL. They were the best team in the NFL all season. They were the best team in the NFC all time until they were going to play the toughest defense in the world in the Niners and they got and they beat the crap out of the Niners. I know you can say that you look Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson went down. They didn't go down by fluke injury. They didn't get their foot run over by the bus coming into the into the stadium. Hassan Reddick beat the crap out of them. Yeah. Strains Purdy's UCL. Got their thing. I think it's easy to focus on one player when Hassan Reddick had as huge of a game as he did the week before. But Jamon's right in the sense they had four guys with 10 sacks. Their roster is talented from one to 53 because Jalen Hurts is still on a rookie contract and they can afford to spend money on number twos through 53. I just think that I just think they're the better team. Yeah. I think that the only chance the only like there's two people that scare you, right? Mahomes At least on the Chiefs Jones. offense. Mahomes. Well, yeah. So Chris Jones, if you want to throw in on defense on offense, it's Mahomes. And that's when Mahomes gets out of the pocket. Travis Kelsey straight admitted when he sees Mahomes get out of the pocket, that's when he goes, great. I don't have to run that route anymore. I can just find a soft spot in the defense. Yeah. Eagles play a fair amount of zone. Kelsey's going to get his hundred plus yards. I still think the Eagles win this game by like 37, 27. Like, I think it's, they've been the best team in the league all year. Um, for as much as it, it's funny, the Eagles put out a video last night where it was uh, the first five minutes was people just was just all the clips of people talking about how much they hated the Sirianni hire, and then now things have worked out. So I think they're a little bit of a team of destiny. I think everything's working out. I have fears for them in the future years when it comes to like salary cap, yeah. uh, but this is your window. I will say if the Chiefs win this game, I'm not a jump the gun type guy, but I will have no problem seeing Mahomes with his top five. As all time, team. all time. I that's just, and I never do that, but I won't have a problem with seeing it. That's two rings then at that point. Yeah, two rings and like still eight, ten years ahead of him. Yeah, and a lot of MVPs to come. Yeah, yeah I mean it's, it's a similar thing with him though. Like that's the thing. Like nobody, their wide receivers stink, so there's no other skilled players other than Travis Kelsey that like, like Isaiah Pacheco had a good rookie year out of Rutgers. Doesn't really worry me that much. Not the best. They just played Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the wide receivers stink. You just took Kadarius Tony, a cast off from the Giants. Now he's your number two wide out. McCall Hardman's not playing. Mm-hmm. If Travis Kelsey, unless he goes out for 270 yards or Mahomes high ankle sprain, all of a sudden feels great and he's able to just kind of get away from Hassan, I think the Eagles are just built to beat a team like the Chiefs. Yeah, I think, I think unless you let Chris Jones wreck the game or unless... But even that, the Eagles are the best offensive line in Right, football. right, right. <laughs> unless he... And they do like I know they move him around, right? But like unless unless like Lane really really reaggravates his injury, and unless Mahomes does some truly special things, which he is certainly capable of doing, yeah, I'm cautiously. Optimistic. I'm also. I mean, I think they're going to still try to run the ball because that's what they want to do. But I think we're still just waiting for and are going to get that big AJ Brown postseason game. Yeah, that you I haven't mean, gotten this is, yet. This would be a game where Steve Spagnuolo says, like, well, you know, we're going to make you make you win by throwing the ball against us, test Jalen Hurts' shoulder, and we'll see what happens. So It's the most – even if they don't win, which I think they're going to win, it's the – they're the best Eagles team of the, of my life, of my lifetime. Like, they're better than that Super Bowl team from five years ago, just talent-wise and and productivity. So Next week, we'll I talk hope about Norman and uh, Tommy McDonald. I said of my life. <laughs> so <laughs> no, from, I'm just not from, just saying. From 1989 on, this is the best Eagles team that they've fielded. Yeah. Well, we'll – How uh, we trust. 
see what happens. Uh, thanks for sticking with us with another episode. We'll be back next week. More football, more hoops talk. Uh, yeah, Terry and White game. Well, spring football is getting closer. Uh, so spring, we'll have- spring football should start like two weeks from today or two weeks from tomorrow. I think they want to do the week before the basketball conference tournament to get all the weightlifting deeds and stuff out the way or whatever that first week is. Yeah. So that's give the guy, give the guy spring break and then they'll have all the outside practices. And all. When does men's basketball end? When does that mercifully end? The last game is (laughs) first week of March, March 5th, Mm -hmm. March 5th. Okay. All right. So more stuff coming down the pike. Enjoy if you're a Philly fan, Eagles fan. Enjoy yourself this weekend. And, stay off uh, the poles. Yes, stay off the grease poles. No, screw that. Like, <laughs> do what you gotta do. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying go eat horse shit or whatever you guys did five years ago. But if you want to climb poles, inevitably somebody stands on like where Tavern on Broad used to be. They stand on top of, like the canvas thing. They fall right through. Yeah. Go crazy. It's only the second time it's ever. Happened in uh in city history. You'll find me on top of the Boner Forever building on North Broad Street, just shooting <laughs> off flares. Oh, I hate, like no, there's no there's that. no more room for being reserved and being nervous. And oh, I just really hope both teams have a good time. No, balls to the walls. Scared to get a dog. Eagle by team with Meg on that. Be like, I'm going out to get some milk. I'll be right back. I don't think I'm going to go to the parade. <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a very different life position than I was the last time the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Well, well on that note, we'll go birds. Next week. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you guys soon. Go birds.